Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Dreaming in F Minor. My name is Mike Roop. I am your host today. I'm really excited to get into this episode today, but just real quickly, I wanted to say thank you to uh, to uh, all the people that reached out to me after the last episode, episode 10. Um, it was a personal one for me, and uh, a lot of people that um, that mean a lot to me reached out and uh, expressed their support, and I just want to say I'm super thankful for that. So, um, to all of you who did, you know exactly who you are. Uh, thank you very much for that. But let's get into today's episode. Super happy to be bringing you a filmmaker, a writer, director, editor. He just had a film come out this last August called Kindred. It's available on Amazon Prime right now. Mr. Adrian Leone is with us today. This was my first time meeting Adrian, and I'm so happy I did. Really, really awesome guy and um, a great guest, and one that I think you're all going to learn a lot from, uh, especially in the world of film business. Um, We get pretty deep into that whole aspect and that whole side of the filmmaking industry, uh, which is so incredibly valuable. And so I think you're really going to enjoy it. So real quick, before we get into that, let me tell you about Simple Equations Media. Simple Equations is a full-service audio and video production company located here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Pre-production through post-production, music production, anything you need, whether you're writing a script, pitching, whether you need help with production, post-production, anything you need. We can help you out. So make sure to head over to simpleequationsmedia.com. Make sure to hit up Simple Equations on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, all the usual hits. Or you can give us a call. Just type all Simple Equations Media in the Google search bar and you will find us. Also make sure to check out Dreaming in F Minor on Facebook and Instagram, both at Dreaming in F Minor. But without further ado... Super excited to bring you the great Adrian Leon. All right, welcome everybody into the interview portion today. Uh, very, very excited to bring on my next guest. Um, Adrian Leon is with us. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thank you. Thank Good. you. How Good. are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. I'm, uh, I'm hanging in there. I'm glad we were able to set this up. Yeah, me too. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, for those of... For those out there that that don't know who you are, go ahead and give us a little bit of a rundown of who you are and what you do. You know, I'm just a, a filmmaker. You know, I um, uh, I've been working in the TV business since the late '90s, 1997 to be exact. Cool. Uh, that was my first gig, uh, working on a on the reissue of a TV show that was called Big Blue Marble, which was uh, really quite amazing because. I used to watch Big Blue Marble when I was in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Our teachers would, sh- would show us uh, episodes of that because it was about kids from around the world. And uh, every episode would uh, uh, feature two kids, usually one kid from the USA, and then another kid from somewhere else in the world, South America, some you know uh, kid that was living in the jungle, mm-hmm. or you know um, uh, the son of a prince in Saudi Arabia, you hmm. know? Yeah. And what was really amazing about the show is, of course it would highlight the differences, but what you would walk away from 
uh, uh, each episode with is, wow, like, I, th I guess like people are pretty much the same everywhere, you mm -hmm. know, uh, whether it's a, a little cowboy kid from, you know, Texas yeah. or, you know, someone from Norway, you know? Right. Yeah. So, so actually I got hired onto that and I thought, wow, what a, what an incredible kind of a coincidence, mm -hmm. you know? And then from there, I just kind of went and, um, most of my experiences in television, uh, nice. and, uh, of course I just made my first feature. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're, we're, we're getting together for, uh, Kindred. Yes, Kindred, yes. Kindred. Yeah, that's came out um, just recently. And you said that right. A lot of people kindred. say Kindred. Yeah. <laughs> and so when it came out, people were looking for it. Like, I I can't, no, no, it's not Kindred. It's Kindred. Kindred. Just like you said it. Yeah, Thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> of course, yeah. So that came out, was it uh, this last August? Yes, August 8th, 2021. Awesome. And um, yeah, it's really quite surreal to see something that was in your head for so long. And yeah. Then, and then on the page. Yeah. And then... And now it's like people are watching it and talking about it. People you don't even know, good mm -hmm. and bad, you know, yeah, so yeah. that's always very surreal. No, it's amazing. It seems like you're having some pretty good success with the release of that. And um, it's super exciting to see a local Vegas production, mm -hmm. you know, doing good things. You know, it's uh, it's it's always inspiring, you know, yeah, thank when, you when that, that happens for sure. So um, we've talked a little bit, I guess, outside of here about it, but you had, you know, I mean, I think you were incredibly resourceful with this film because I think, as you said, you had a very, very tight schedule and everything. And, and I think the way it came out is was really, really great. Can you kind of get into like a little bit of a, as far as production wise goes and everything? Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, so so it was a very limited budget. We shot it for um, a little over $70,000, right? And I wanted to have 18 days mm -hmm. uh, on the schedule, but we just, we couldn't afford it. Right. A and uh, people would say, well, why don't you just raise more money? Well, you know, you have to go earn that money back. And typically mm -hmm. independent films, it's an uphill fight every inch of the 100%. way to, yeah. to, to make back every dollar. So based on my research, uh, and believe me, I spent a lot of time doing that because I like to know exactly what I'm getting into. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like I had to keep the budget for the entire film below a certain level yeah. to, to at least have a fighting chance to, to recoup for my investors. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we did the math and we we, we said, okay, well, I th we think it's gonna have to be 11 days. So we shot it in 11 days. We had, um, wow. so we, our first day was a Sunday and we worked seven days and then we had a day off and then we worked four days. So it was 11 days. Now we did have one day of pickups, but you know, it was, it was, it was inserts of maybe a piece of uh, equipment or just some extra jogging shots that you saw in the beginning mm -hmm. uh, when the uh, the character finds the little boy who was lost in the right. desert. And then we did take another half day to do the drone shots, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which that, even though it's just a few seconds in the movie, I mean, that took half a day to do, you know, but oh, you're yeah. just out there, you know, flying a drone. For sure. Uh, but we shot the whole thing in Boulder City with the exception of the uh, drone shots. And uh, every single location was within like a one mile square area. Oh, wow. area. You know? Nice. Yeah. So, which was nice. We had very few company moves, mm -hmm. and and for uh, people listening who may not know what that is, it's when the entire uh, when the crew packs everything up into the trucks, and then yeah. you move to a different location, and yeah. that takes time. Yeah. You, you for know, sure. You lose a lot of time doing that. So, mm -hmm. so we, I kind of designed it while I was writing the film to uh, to have as few company moves as possible. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, man. Um, I mean, it came out really, really well, and. And one thing that I really liked about it that you don't really see in a lot of indie films is the script was very, um, it was ambitious, you know, 
I guess that's maybe that's a maybe that's a good way to say it. Um, it's it's not a simple story. It's not, and it's great to, to it's refreshing to see that from a local production. You know what I mean? And um, can you kind of can can you kind of take us back a little bit through the writing process? Because I know it was you and, and one other guy mm-hmm. who wrote the film, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what was that writing process like? And I guess you know, without giving it away too many spoilers or anything, because oh, sure. the, the ending is certainly a, is a cool twist for sure. Um, kind of what was that process like, and what kind of led you down? this path, uh, maybe inspiration wise or anything else. Oh yeah. Well, you know, uh, I'll start with the inspirational, uh, part. Uh, yeah. one of my all time favorite movies is alien from 1979, oh, yeah. the very first one. Yeah. Classic. And, and there's a scene at the beginning of the third act where it's just down to three crew members, Sigourney Weaver, yeah. Yafet Kato and Veronica Cartwright. Yeah. And of course the cat. And so they've made the plan to blow up the ship and they're going to get in the lifeboat you know, and, the, yeah. uh, and, and they're going to just go off to earth and that. And so Yafet Kato and Veronica Cartwright have, are going to get the, the lifeboat ship ready mm-hmm. while Sigourney Weaver goes and gets her cat and like sets the, uh, right. uh, the um, uh, self-destruct for the, for the big spaceship that they're on. Mm-hmm. And they're, they have radios. And so when Sigourney Weaver is doing that, she literally hears her friends and fellow uh crew get eaten alive by the by the alien yeah you know and it was and i remember that was always one of the most tense parts of the film for me and you're just listening to these characters that you've grown to care for yeah you know die right Right. and of course she she had she she comes running back and she you know sees the evidence of what happened you know they're i guess they're torn apart and it was horrifying to to kind of see like why you hear it and then you see the aftermath, but you don't really see the actual act of the the monster ripping mm-hmm. ripping them to shreds. Yeah. So I so I thought I'm gonna make a whole movie like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where the violence and the uh, all of the the um, you know the evil stuff is taking place off camera, and there's a person yeah. stuck in their room, and that was it was also kind of a pragmatic choice, also because I knew that I wasn't gonna have very you know once. Once you decide to make a film, the odds are stacked against you, right. no, no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. And so knowing that, I thought, I'm going to try to write this like a stage play, you know, in, in as few locations as possible. Yeah. And of course, so I had this vision of a guy stuck in his room, right? And for whatever reason, he can't leave. He's stuck in there, mm-hmm. right? He's, of course, he's agoraphobic, right? But why? Why did he become like that? Mm-hmm. And so in the writing process with Steve, uh, and so that's what I started with, right? This guy's listening to, to this stuff happen. Yeah. And so uh, Steve's a good friend of mine, and we've always kind of worked well together where the egos don't clash. Like mm-hmm. he, could, he could tell me, no, that's not working for me. And my feelings wouldn't get hurt. I'm like, okay, all right. So- yeah. And then we'd kind of massage it. We'd massage it into place, right? Mm-hmm. And the same with him. He'd have ideas, and I'd be like, oh, "I don't know. Well, let's write that down. But maybe, maybe we'll come back to that, and we'll see a different angle that'll work." Yeah. And it was it was amazing. He at the time he lived in Chapel Hill in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and uh, he would fly out to L.A. for business. And I'm originally from L.A. I, I grew up okay. in Vegas, mm-hmm. but uh, spent most of my time in Vegas. But I did go back and live in LA uh, during my TV, my TV career. Right, right. And so he'd go out there and he would stay at the Chateau Marmont, right? okay. the legendary place, yeah, right? yeah. get a bungalow there. And so I would stay with friends out there and then I'd meet him at, in his bungalow. 
and which is this magical place for a filmmaker, yeah. for writers, right? Totally. And, uh, you know, we'd have lunch and Mike Myers would be sitting over there <laughs> and some famous yeah. actress would be sitting over there. Yeah. And we'd just beat the story out, you know, just go, go, That's you awesome. know, and it kind of started as this weird supernatural thing, but it, it just kind of naturally evolved it during our conversations and our writing sessions mm. to, to be something more, um, uh, based in the real world, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So, so we created the characters and the story beats together. And then I would go back, uh, after these sessions and I would, I would write the script right. and then I'd send the pages to him and then we'd have, you know, some kind of, uh, uh, like a, well, it wasn't zoom at that time. It was probably, I think it was probably Skype. Skype. Yeah. <laughs> we'd have Skype calls. You I know? still use Skype. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was the writing process and, um, you know, it just kind of evolved into this whole thing about sound. Yeah. You know, sound is this huge theme in the in the film. It's, oh yeah, it's it's uh, it's the, the characters. It's like back. a character itself, almost it's, in the it, film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing, man. And you know, um, that's interesting. I can I can see the connections with with the uh, the idea of hearing something that you can't necessarily see, which can be extremely terrifying. It can be very weird. It's a very strange experience. You know what I mean? Like living in apartments, like I've lived in a bunch of apartments and hearing my neighbors, you yeah. know, doing all kinds of different things. Yeah. It's there's it's it. Yeah. I think that was one thing that I really, really liked from the very, very beginning is like, this guy's like, he, he's like taking control of everything that he can possibly hear around, yeah. you know, for his own reasons, obviously, and everything. But like, um, that was such an interesting idea and, and, a, and a strange one, uh -huh, yeah. an internally kind of turmoil-y thing, and which was super, super interesting. I think I, I put a really interesting color to the film, mm -hmm. you know, because it's him listening into things he shouldn't be and things like that. And, you know, obviously discovers uh, some things that other people wish that that he didn't hear whatever the case may be but um yeah really really interesting idea you know and being an audio person a sound guy an audiophile musician um the content itself you know how he's like he's an audiophile himself he's like a sound designer and does all this stuff both both as his occupation you know and then just also as a hobby you know um a it's dark, easy a, to resonate with a dark hobby, a dark hobby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely it. It's, um, it's that dark passenger that's ever present, you know, with, with him. And speaking of that, the lead, what, what was his, his Ethan smart, Ethan smart. Yes. Very talented. Very, very impressed with him. Mm -hmm. he's, he's, is he from Vegas? No, or? no, actually I'd say, uh, maybe a third of the cast was from LA. So Ethan, okay. Ethan and Eleanor, the okay. girl that he watches through the window. Yeah. They're from, they're from LA. Okay. Uh, they live in LA and then, uh, Pat and Karina, the older couple they're they're in Las Vegas. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, that was Ethan's first movie role, if you can believe it. Really? And I'll tell you, man, I threw him into the deep end of the pool, but, yeah. but, uh, he was a, a true gift. I mean, he was, he yeah. was the character. Yeah, he really was. Like, it felt completely genuine. I was like, this, this is who this is. Wow. His first film, it's very impressive. Ethan, great job, man. <laughs> great job. Yeah. I'm sure he's, uh, I'm sure he's getting all kinds of praise from that. Cause it's, um, he did it. I mean, the whole cast, you know what I mean? The whole cast did just an excellent job. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that every creative person, of course, lays in bed at night, not able to sleep thinking, oh my gosh, like, am I even good at this? You know? And then I, I look at the, the, the acting in the film yeah. and how 
quickly we shot it. So at, at, at that speed, and we did rehearse and we I spent a lot of time with the actors so that they would know, mm-hmm. but uh, so that we'd be on the same page. Mm-hmm. But when you're shooting you know, six, seven, eight, one day we shot 12 pages in a day wow. when they say that the the average for an independent film is five or six pages. Yeah. Um, you're, you're flying by the seat of your pants and you're, and you're, and you're operating on an instinctual level, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that's when it's, it's always important, but it, especially in a situation like that, you have to get people that are, that, have, that, they, that they come ready to work, that they're prepared, mm-hmm. that they take their craft seriously. Yeah. You really need that in those high pressure situations because I mean one one thing goes wrong it can set set everything back quite a bit so yeah you really need people who are on top of their game yeah and, and you know, ready to rock and, and speaking of that this wasn't the kind of thing where if we didn't get a scene we could go back or like oh let's raise a little more money we built that set um, the production designer and her and her team did the uh, art director uh, his apartment set. Mm. Right. So we couldn't, I can't remember why we couldn't get the building the week before, but that building is used by law enforcement to uh, do training for uh, like drug busts and knocking down doors and Mm. stuff like that. And they were coming in the week after, you know, Uh, and then there was something after that. And so it was literally, we need to get these scenes because the set has to be torn down and there's no, there's no turning back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Just go for it. Yeah. It forces you to make decisions and it forces you to, uh, to just, to just go with your gut, mm-hmm. you know, which is incredibly valuable. It's incredibly stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it can be really valuable in certain cases. And, uh, inevitably this came out in a positive direction. So, I mean, thank you for that. That's always good. Um, and I did make it my, the, uh, and it, it, it gives me a lot of satisfaction to hear you say as an audiophile, as a musician, as someone yeah. who works in sound that you got a lot out of the film. I have to tell you, that knowing the challenges that an independent film has in recouping its costs, I knew that I had to make this for a niche audience and I Mm. made it for people like you. Mm. Of course you want as broad an audience as as possible, but when the distributor asked me like, so who are we marketing this to? And I said, well, if if there were a specific niche, it it would be people who work in the sound industry, who love maybe Hitchcock, who love right. you know, David Lynch, who have that uh, acquired taste of being able to sit and watch an independent movie yeah. uh, with an open mind. Because yeah. you, know, you get people who are raised on big Hollywood blockbusters and then right. they watch an independent film and it's not the same for them. Right. And so then they think it's, oh, this isn't any good. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not that it isn't any good. It's just, you know, it's, it's a, it's a You're different- You're looking at it through the wrong lens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a new yeah. voice, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and then there is definitely, um, and yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a disconnect for a lot of people for sure, um, but yeah, I guess it is. It's coming down to knowing your audience, you know. Um, that's a that's a huge thing. People who are into film is gonna is gonna like a film like this, you know. Yeah. So it's you know, I guess more creatively satisfying that way, mm-hmm. you know, where you can really focus in on the the people you want to enjoy it and. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing, man. And um, we have a mutual connection of uh, David Rodriguez, yes, who was the po- uh, the post sound supervisor and yeah. did all the mixing and mm-hmm. wore many hats in the post sound. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 a great guy. Um, known him for a little while now. Um, he he's got a beautiful studio here in in Las Vegas, Nineteen Audio. So mm-hmm. shout out to you, David. Um, and yeah, he did. He was a he was a he was a right guy for this position. He's an, an incredibly talented dude, and um, 
how did you make the connection with him? Have you known him for a while? <laughs> no, or? no. You know, it, it was so, so it's funny because it was a, a literally a real life case of uh, something that writers are taught. And that is, they say that when you're stuck, when you're writing your script, sometimes just ask yourself, well, what's the worst thing that can happen to your to your character that turns out to be the best thing or the best thing that turns out to be the worst thing. Mm -hmm. Well, he's the best thing that came out of the worst thing that could have happened to me. And I was under a deadline. I was very fortunate. You know, I, I broke all kinds of rules making this film. Mm -hmm. And one of those rules is never show distributors your film before it's done. Right. But because I had an IMDB page, I was being harassed by all these distributors that wanted to see a cut of the film. And I'm mm. like, no, 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 it's not done, it's not done. Well, mm. you know, let us watch it, blah, blah. So I let a couple of distributors watch it and um, uh, before it was before it was finished. Now, the, the cut was there, but it hadn't been graded and it hadn't been uh, uh, mixed, right. right? So the audio was very raw. Yeah. And, and they all wanted it, right? And so I found that they all wanted it by a certain date just because of you know the way the market is and everything. And so mm -hmm. I realized like, wow, I really do have a deadline mm -hmm. in getting this thing done so I can get it to whoever the distributor ends up being so they can do what they have to do with it. Right. And so I had, a, um, I, had, I had hired someone else to do the post sound on the film, mm. uh, but they dropped out at the last moment. Mm. Uh, and it was probably in the top two stressful things yeah. that happened during the the making of the film yeah because uh you know now i've got people that are expecting it to be done by a certain time yeah. and it was important and so i started asking around i started making phone calls mm. and i somehow uh ended up meeting david and what he did that i really liked no one else did um some of the people that i talked to on the phone you know, they would just kind of tell me, yeah, it may cost in this range, whatever. And that was fine. But David said, bring the film down. We'll listen to it together mm -hmm. and we'll talk about it. But we'll listen to it through my in my through my system yeah. in the room that I'm actually going to be doing the work in. And mm -hmm. I did that and I brought it in. We talked about it. He asked questions. I asked questions. And uh, and that really made a big impression on me, yeah. you know. So. So, yeah. And plus, I did have to raise a little more money because now when you're hiring someone at the last minute, yeah, you're not going to get that same deal as a person that you hired, you know, four months ago that yep. said he'd be there for you, you know. Right. So and that was fine. It was all still, you know, very manageable. And uh, and David just really knocked it out of the park. Yeah. I mean, even if people don't like the film, they usually say no, but the sound is great. <laughs> yeah. And, and what an important aspect of it being so sound centric. Oh yeah, like absolutely. With a with a subpar mix and subpar sound design and everything, I mean, I think that the message would not have come through the same way. I, I would have come out of it with egg on my face, like, oh, yeah. here's this ambitious, like you said, this very ambitious yeah. uh, film with sound as the core element of the storytelling, yeah, and the character's backstory, and. Um, for it to come out mediocre would have just been an embarrassment. Heartbreak. And, yeah, and I yeah. remember, and you know, who said the same thing was Eleanor, the lead female. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was, I think, feeling sorry for myself. We were talking on the phone. I said, oh my God, what am I gonna do? My sound guy, and like, this yeah. is, but you know, sometimes the universe just works like that, especially right. when you're a creative person. It's literally, the magic doesn't happen when you're, when you're sitting still thinking about something, it's mm -hmm. when you're moving forward. Like my dad would always say, it's easier to steer a moving car, yeah. right? And so the movie was always moving forward, 
you know? Yeah. And so, and, and she, and she, what she said was right. She said, you know what? Like you just have to trust that the right person's going to, yeah. you know, just, but you just have to keep doing your job as right. a director, like making sure that, you know, asking the right questions and making sure the person is the, the right person mm-hmm. for the role, yep. you, you know, mm-hmm. like, so. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It was a good find. Good find. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've been, I've been trying to get him on the, trying to get him on the podcast. Um, we had to reschedule a couple times, so that's going to be coming soon. Yeah, talk about so. a wealth of experience he has. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's putting it lightly. Yeah. I mean, he is, he's an ex, he's he's very accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I don't know how many Emmys he's got now, nine or ten or something. I think I think more than that. To be honest, so with more you. than that. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he'll be on soon. So tune into that one. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> but, don't miss it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> cool. Well, um, so this is film number three for you? N- no. Or four? No, it's my first feature. It's your first feature? This is my first feature. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had made, I had um, directed some very, very low micro budget documentaries. Okay. And okay. Um, actually one was an hour long broadcast documentary and two of them I kind of formatted them like documentaries but they were more like half hour um um current affairs pieces gotcha and um i was fortunate enough in that the the three of them got nominated for emmys so so when people refer to them they do refer to them as as my films also so so if you do count those as because they are long form you know like you know pieces Mm -hmm. um you know so kindred would technically be my fourth but it's my first feature right um, can you get into those a little bit? Because I mean, I think that's um, I haven't seen any of them yet. I've mm-hmm. been I've been meaning to watch them. Yeah. Um, but um, one of one of the documentaries had pretty high acclaim, right? Um, yeah. So I I would imagine that would have been the one about sex trafficking. It's yeah. A, it's, a, it's a small. It was a small. Right. Yeah. It was a piece called Trafficked No More. Right. A lot of people don't seem to uh, realize that sex trafficking is a real problem mm-hmm. uh, affecting our our youth. In, yeah. the, in the USA. Yeah. And so there was a law passed in the state of Nevada, I think it was AB 67, that made it a crime punishable by a sentence of up to life in prison if anyone is caught trafficking mm-hmm. um, someone, of course, against their will. Technically, that's the definition. You traffic someone, they're it's do, doing it against their will, right? Right, right. So to raise awareness, um, the state wanted to create uh, a film that would get everybody on the same page. Mm-hmm. And it aired statewide. Uh, we made it for a tiny amount of money. We're talking just a few thousand dollars. Mm. And, uh, but it was one of those things where, you know, the, 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 it kind of fell in my lap and I thought, this is important. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, I want, yeah, I do want to tell the story. Yeah. And it was very difficult emotionally because my, I, of course I had a, a, uh, a daughter by that time mm-hmm. and my second one on the way when you yeah. show me a daughter. And so you're capturing these stories, these women, these girls yeah. are just victimized and just put through hell on earth. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it was, it was hard, but it was, it, it did meet with high claim and the it aired in what they call roadblock fashion. Every single TV station got on board and aired it simultaneously in the state. Oh wow! Um, nice. Uh, and at a good time too, seven thirty on a weeknight leading into prime time. Nice. So a lot of people were upset that they were going to miss Jeopardy that night, you know. Wow. But well, <laughs> uh, yeah. and so that night alone, I think forty girls uh, had watched it or saw it and uh, and uh, reached out to get rescued. Wow. You know, and so it's amazing. Yeah. And then there are organizations in Las Vegas that help women like battered women and stuff mm-hmm. like Shay Tree, for example. 
Uh, the film did air several times after that. And every time it aired, uh, these organizations would report um, an increase of up to 400% in women that would, um, I don't want to say tur turn themselves in, but they, they kind of reached out for help also, right, you right. know? So, yeah. Wow. What an amazing thing. I mean, that's, that's, um, that's gotta be fulfilling in, in so many more ways. You know what I mean? I mean, just creatively great, but you know, on, on a, on a much deeper level. Yeah. And you know, yeah. it was institutionalized. I know that they were showing it in high schools. We made a, an abridged version, a 12 minute version. Cool. Uh, and they, they were showing that in high schools here, uh, for, for year, for years. I don't know if they still are, but, uh, and then the state of Arizona, um, that was the year they had the Super Bowl, and you know, sex trafficking kind of follows these big sporting events. Yep, you know, yep. I've heard that. Yeah, so they the state of Arizona used it to train their first responders in um, wow. in uh, preparation for the Super Bowl that year. Amazing. Yeah. So was that one of the Emmy nominated? It was. Films? Yeah, it was uh, nominated. For nice. Um, very cool. It That's... was my first Emmy loss, as I like first to say. Emmy loss. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So what was your second Emmy loss? Uh, so it was an hour long broadcast documentary about um, horse therapy for. Um, endangered youth okay kids from the inner city and so we took three kids that sounded terrible though an emmy loss i shouldn't have said it that way <laughs> oh no that's okay no that's yeah. fine no yeah. you know what what a first world problem to have right, right. oh i lost yeah, you know lost i was nominated yeah lost an emmy like wow <laughs> yeah, you know no. how many people would love to be able to say that so right, i'm not i'm right. grateful you yeah, know for sure and you know and i watched the films and i've been an emmy judge and mm -hmm. i'm like yeah I, I can see why i lost yeah. you know because it just didn't deserve it <laughs> just yeah. didn't, you know the the, the the people who won you know, just the, the level was up here. And very I was high, very high tier of, of oh, talent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, the, the second one was uh, we took these three kids from the inner city in Las Vegas and we took them up to a horse ranch in Amazon Ranch in Pioche, Nevada. Okay. And they and they uh, worked with the horses because, of course, I'm sure, you know, that's very therapeutic. Right. I've heard. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I spent a little time with horses when I was when I was when I was real young because a friend of mine, they had a bunch of horses and. It was great. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, there was, at the time, there was a nonprofit organization here in Las Vegas called the White Horse Youth Ranch. They'd mm. go by Y Ranch, right? Okay. And so they would help kids year round. Um, you know, they'd, they'd bring them in and they'd, and, you know, their grades would improve, their communication would improve. Mm. Uh, these were kids that had, had been diagnosed with certain types, maybe like, let's say ADHD, mm. or maybe they had lost their parents at a very young age, or maybe they had, you know, been in gangs and, you know, were now trying to, right. you know, they're trying to get out of it. Uh, and so all these kids just, you know, and, and I was their, like their video producer. Okay. Right. And so over the course of years, I saw what was happening. And so the executive director, Amy Meyer, and I had this idea, let's create an hour long thing and, and just kind of tell the story. And, yeah. and that's what we did. So, nice. so yeah, it was, and I think that's my favorite of the three. Nice. Uh, I feel like I had the structure down there, still kind of, kind of raw and rough, of course, mm -hmm. very low budget, but I, I really like, I, I feel like I did a good job on that one. I like that one. Nice. Yeah. yeah um, all of these have, have been on my <clears throat> list since I started talking to you. Oh. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited to definitely excited to watch that. Yeah. It seems like, was that kind of what your, your, um, your third other, um, documentary was, was, is, was kind of a, um, uh, uh, what's what will be the word for it um a public awareness type of yeah that that one was a lot like the the first one the uh, traffic no more okay. and um so of course uh, i think it was october 1st 2017 we had that horrible shooting yeah at the um at the festival the music festival yeah. in the mandalay bay and um the of course the city wanted to and i think it was mary goodman uh i think it was 
her brainchild, you know, like that, that circle, they wanted to create something to uh, address the trauma mm-hmm. that, uh, that a city uh, experiences after an event like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, and, it, and yeah, I mean, it's just a mass shooting, a mass, you know, casualty event, but there are places that experience a similar level of trauma. Like for example, these uh, cities in the Midwest, the, the tornadoes come in and they right. destroy, you know, they destroy the whole place and they, yeah. you know, people, a lot of people lose their lives. Um, so we had these, we flew in these therapists come in and, and address that. Mm-hmm. But so the shooting happened on October 1st, I got the call on October, October 17th and we began shooting uh, I think it was like October 29th or something like that. Okay. And our and so we shot for the first two weeks of November, and it was crazy. Yeah. Right? We 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 did a lot of filming, and then we I edited for. I remember that Thanksgiving, I'd come down with the family, we chill, maybe have a little glass of wine, you know, mm-hmm. and then I'd go up and I'd edit, and then after an hour, I'd go back down and maybe have some turkey and whatever. You, you know, right. it was one yeah. of those. It was because the air date was, I think, December 6th of that year. Wow. So it was a very quick turnaround. Yeah. And so that was more of a talking head thing because we didn't have time to do a lot of a lot of B-roll, which mm-hmm. we did. But um, and I, and that one was nominated. And you know, these are all programs because it's it may be odd for the person who's who's listening who doesn't know how the Academy of uh, Television Arts and Sciences works, mm-hmm. but. A program has to air on television in order to to be nominated or be eligible for an Emmy, and it can't be paid programming. It can't be anything like that, and it has to fit into uh, existing categories. So, okay. so because these are um, uh, uh, current affairs programs, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they were they were eligible. So that was a half hour piece, and the sex trafficking documentary was half hour, and the horse documentary was was a, was a straight hour. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it seems like um, seem to be a very uh, aware person. Is that is that kind of something that's been like a theme with with your TV career as well? A lot of a lot of current events, current current things like that. Yeah, it's, it seems it seems like it. You know, I and I but I feel like that's more of just maybe that's you know if that's the current I'm in, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe that's those are the waters I'm kind of swimming in. That's what kind of naturally you know, yeah. falls in my lap. And, and yeah, I mean, I've done, and even beyond television, you know, I've done a lot of stuff that um, is either for internal use or for fundraising use, or, you know, I've done a lot of work with, uh, with veterans and uh, the, some of the pieces that I've produced have been shown in the white house, for example, wow. under, under both the Obama and the Trump administration, you nice. know, but it's not because the, my work was so great that they showed it at the white house. It's mm-hmm. because the people that were working on behalf of the, uh, let's say homeless veterans, you know, they, they knew that I could do what I needed, what they needed me to do as far as conveying what they were trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And then they'd go to the white house for help, you know, and because they have those connections, they can, they can make that happen. Yeah. And then they'd, um, you know, exhibit the film or whatever the piece was. So, you know, that's, and that's that, you know, and then I think, um, one of the videos that I made was for a local guy named Arnold Stock. He had an organization called Veterans Village mm. and, uh, he told me that after he showed one of the videos at the White House, they were able to secure the vouchers that they needed to get the property to house 60 homeless veterans. You yeah. know, so now that's his, that's what he did. But I'm, I, I do feel an enormous sense of satisfaction that I, I gave him a tool to be able to accomplish that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I haven't done a whole lot of work like that, but I can imagine that the satisfaction you get 
mm-hmm. from helping out something you know that that desperately needs help you know is 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 probably extremely satisfying um yeah that's that's great to hear man um so i guess before you know before your tv career growing up did you were you always the kind of person who was really into films and and things like that how did i guess how did your passion for for video tv and film kind of how did that all develop yeah i guess looking back now it was always there yeah but there were things that i wanted to do before that for example i wanted to be a writer because i I grew up in the 80s i was born in the 70s growing up in the 80s i I read all of stephen king's books nice right and um and you know there were other you know books that i read of course that and i couldn't wait to get home from school to you know pick up the novel and keep reading and you know find out what was happening with pennywise and the kids and you know you know what i'm saying and um so i wanted to be a writer a novelist and then of course i was very much into comic books and I nice. wanted to be a comic book illustrator, nice. you know, but you know, that's like storyboards in a film. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to be an actor. And so I acted for two or three years in high school, you know, in the, uh, and I had theater classes mm-hmm. and I was in plays and stuff like that. And, and that's when I began to realize like, oh, you know, I enjoyed in theater class coming up with the stories and telling the other actors kind of. I'd, I'd kind of take charge a little bit. No, how about, you know, this or that or whatever. Uh-huh. Or you, then you walk in and then, and um, I enjoyed that more than when they'd give us a scene out of, let's say, of Mice of Men and Men. And mm-hmm. it was all already there and written. And yeah. you, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, I inherited my love of movies from my dad, who, you know, he used to go to the movies with his grandma because she raised him, you cool. know. So she'd take him to the movies. They'd see a movie every week or maybe two or three movies. Nice. And so it was the same thing with him and I. You know, yeah. he'd always take me to the movies. And, nice. you know, I remember like it was yesterday, 1980, just watching Empire Strikes Back with my dad cool. at yeah. the Red Rock Theater. I don't know if you remember it. No, um, I, I, I didn't grow up here in Vegas. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was one of those iconic uh, movie theaters here. Nice. Uh, and it was off of... Um, uh, West Charleston indicator. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah. So anyways, yeah. So it was, uh, and then I think the only award I've ever really won were, uh, creative writing awards in elementary school and, really? ju- and junior high. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I guess it's always kind of been there, but it just, and of course I've always taken pictures. I love photography. Okay. Nice. So, you know, you take cinema and yeah, it's, it's all of those. Together. It's all of those things: the writing and the acting and the the photography. Yeah, yeah. you know that's what's so amazing about uh, about film cinema um, is is I, I feel it's really it really is an ultimate art form. You know, there's so many different aspects to it. Um, it's it's storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful photography. It's um, music. It's everything. You know, it's 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 it really is the ultimate art form, and I guess that's kind of that's kind of how I got into it a little bit as well. I, I started; I was a musician growing up, you know, and everything. And and once I went to once I went to college and everything, I started doing some post production classes and things like that, and got more into film. And I've always liked films and everything. Um, obviously, who doesn't? But I really started, I guess, in my later teenage years um, and into my twenties, started really diving deep into more like you know, real cinema, you might mm-hmm. say, you know, and more um, serious stuff. Yeah. 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 And, um, so it's, it was, it was a very kind of similar thing. It just kind of came together naturally, you know, and I kind of figure it seems like it's like, it's like that for most people, but it definitely seems like you had a, um, a definite fascination with storytelling. 
Or yeah. just stories in general. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I'll always, even when I'm not making movies anymore, I think I would just like to write, write fiction, mm -hmm. you know, kind of get back to that where it originally kind of came from, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Because, you know, making films is, uh, it's a grind. Mm -hmm. and, and I know I have more films in me, but I've always thought, well, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out for mm -hmm. people. And so, and I have friends who are like, why are you even thinking like that? But I've always thought like that. You know, I've always been very much, yes, my head, my head is in the clouds, but I also have my feet planted firmly mm -hmm. on, on the ground. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have friends that would tell me, um, oh, you know, they were like, I was very sad when I realized Hollywood wasn't going to come knocking on my door. And I'd be like, yeah. really? You expected that? Like right. <laughs> for me, for me, it's like, it's always like, you got to fight for every inch right. of ground that you want to cover as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And, and that's kind of like the lottery ticket mentality. I don't have the lottery ticket mentality. Mm -hmm. I know that I have to um, just kind of make my own way. And if something happens, doors open, great. If not, it's fine. I'll just keep building my own doors. Right. You know? Yeah. That's a, that's a good, that's a good thing to inherently know right off of the bat because uh, yeah, a lot of people are very disillusioned to, to how the business actually works. Yeah. And um, it, it can be heartbreaking. You know, that happened to me with the music industry, you know, is, uh, I was <laughs> broken down, mm -hmm. you might say. We moved out to Nashville, and uh, you know, it, you know, I was faced with the ultimate reality of what the music industry actually is nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know, I was romanticizing my entire childhood about the '70s, you know, and sure. the '60s and '70s, and even into the '80s and a little bit of the '90s. You know, like that music industry, which, which is 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 a moment in time. It's history. And, um, so, you know, I kind of face that a little bit as, as well, but, but as far as film goes, it always just kind of seemed like, no, there's an inherent, there, there's a business structure to this. Oh man. And like, you have to, you have to know how to navigate that. Absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, one thing I've learned is <clears throat> I'm not so much a movie marketer. I mean, I'm sorry. One thing I've learned is I'm not so much a movie maker as I am a movie marketer now, mm. you know? Yeah. And uh, even before that, you know, to get a movie off the ground, I mean, you have to be able to to go raise the money. Yeah. And I didn't ask anyone for help raising the money. I did it myself, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I found my way. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm happy to say I raised every penny, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, and sometimes very unconventional ways, mm -hmm. you know, and an interesting story is, and that's a question a lot of filmmakers have is how do you raise money? You raise it however you can, you know, right. like, for example, um, you know, some of my former uh, production clients uh, invested in the film and, um, you know, I have dogs and of course I walk my dogs on a regular basis and you mm -hmm. meet people. And one day I was walking my dog and I met some, I was crossing someone on the sidewalk and said, Hey, how are you? You know, someone that would always walk their dogs. Mm -hmm. And uh, they said, what are you working on these days? And I said, Oh, I'm just, you know, raising finishing fronts for my film. Oh, how does that work? Oh. There, you know, I found another investor like that, you know? Mm. So, well. so you, I think that filmmakers, cause I was like this, they just want to make the film mm -hmm. cause that's what they love. Yep. Right. But there's so much more, like you said, there's mm -hmm. a whole, you know, business side of it and it really is show business. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why they call it that. Um, and that's why they either have to learn those skills mm -hmm. of how to ask for money right, or partner with someone that's trustworthy yeah. that can help them do that. Right. You know? Yeah. It certainly is a skill set for sure. Just, just because that's one thing I've, the business side of things I've never been really, really good with. 
And so, you know, you, you need, you need people like you that, that naturally know how to navigate those waters because it really is, there's a big learning curve to it Mm -hmm. and just being able to network and talk with people and get them to trust you. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, that seems like that's, that's, that's the biggest hurdle, you know, it's just getting people to trust you enough to give you and invest into what you're doing. Yeah. And you know, one of my investors said something really interesting. He said, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm investing in your film, but really in my mind, I'm investing in you. And that's something that, you you know, and going back, I remember there was a slow period. This is like almost 20 years ago. There was a very slow period um, in my freelance television production uh, work, Mm -hmm. right? And one of my friends was making a lot of money as a salesman. And he said, hey, I'm putting together a team. I'm making a lot of money and I'm looking for people who are sales oriented. And I thought, well, you know, one day I'm going to have to ask for money to make my movie. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, I'm interested. And, you know, for six months I worked as a salesman and, uh, and I learned how to ask for a lot of money. And, you know, you meet someone, you build that trust and then you, you ask them for the money and most people say no. Mm -hmm. Right. But my mindset is, well, you have to give everyone the opportunity to say yes. Right. Because you will get them. Right. You know, but people really do. And that's a thing that they, that they tr- uh, teach salespeople. They're saying they're not, they're not buying the product. They're buying you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so I, I always took that with me. And then when my investor told me that it made me think of 20 years ago, and I yeah. thought, oh my God, like they were telling me the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. <clears throat> yeah. But um, yeah. So getting back to, I guess the filmmaking itself, just a little bit, um, you edited kindred as well right i did which i guess it seems like you've edited all your all your films now yeah yeah out of necessity yeah yeah um how do you how do you think that that process like what what because because it seems like you're naturally because you were talking about you know your classmates and it seems like you're naturally kind of a directing type you know and everything when it comes to like the cutting floor you might say um what what role i guess in your mind does did that play in kindred and and kind of how do you approach that you know as far as um because it it seems to be a little bit different for everybody from from uh editors specifically who just are editors versus director editors Mm -hmm. you know um the the process is always seems to be a a little bit different so kind of what is that for you i guess as the editor how that informed Mm -hmm. my process of yeah and specifically with kindred you know yeah absolutely well knowing that we were only going to have 11 days Mm -hmm. um my experience as an editor because i have been editing longer than anything else professionally speaking okay because you know i've you know of course done all my own lighting and my you know camera Mm -hmm. work and directing producing and writing of course uh but i started out as an editor or as an assistant editor really okay and um knowing that we were going to have such a small amount of time on kindred that i had to design my shots in a way that they would cut together right and that was going to be the 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 coverage that I would get. Right. And frankly, I think a lot of filmmakers would watch the film and I do think they would it would resonate with them for the reasons that you said. But uh, one thing that I think, one criticism I think I would get is, well, why didn't you get more coverage for this scene or that scene? You know, mm-hmm. like maybe get another angle uh, or what have you. And the answer is because I wouldn't have a finished movie if I took the time to do that because mm-hmm. I used every, every minute that I had. Yeah. And so I had to think to myself, as an editor, okay, if I can at least get these angles, I know that'll cut. Mm-hmm. And so if I had extra time, 
maybe we'd go in for, you know, an extra insert, what have you. Right. But most of the time we didn't have it. And mm -hmm. so that's, I think, one of the reasons why we were able to, to, to shoot it so quickly. And of course, a crew that was willing to hustle. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah, that yeah. small detail, you for know, sure. yeah. but, but. That's a big detail. <laughs> but you but you can have a, a crew that's willing to hustle and you can totally, you know, load them down with, you know, 80 shots in a scene. Right. That and then you're going to lose them. Right. You know. So, yeah. I mean, as it was, they were they, we were all overworked, mm -hmm. you know, but they knew it going in. This is going to be this is going to be a tough one. This right. is going to be a walk in the park. Yeah, shooting a feature in 11 days, you are, you know you're going to be running. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And you know, it it sounds like a flex like, "Oh, I shot this in 11 days." Uh, but it's like hearing someone say, I, sh I wrote a script in a, in a week. Well, how good is that going to be? Right. But I had the benefit of having worked in TV for, you know, over 20 years, mm -hmm. having been an editor, you yeah. know, I had people who were much more experienced than me read the script and, you know, give me, so, so I was coming at this, like, yeah, this is going to be a, a, a risk, mm -hmm. but it's a calculated risk. Yeah. And I think I can pull it off. Yeah. And now it's, you know, people are watching it and either loving or hating it. And that's fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But getting eyes on it. And that's, that's, that's definitely an important thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it seems like it was, it was probably more preferred that you were the editor in this case. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And because you knew, like you were saying, you, you already had it almost uh, mentally edited in your mind before, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, um, of course I couldn't afford another editor. I was, I was, uh, taught very early on that when you make your when you make a film especially if you're the writer um it'll benefit you to at least have an editor come in for even the first cut yeah you know to to get that different perspective yeah but i wouldn't have been able to afford someone to come in and do that and also i had the benefit of if i wanted if i if something wasn't quite working i would say oh but you know what in the third take the actor did this and maybe i could take it from the third take mm -hmm. and i could meld all the takes together yeah. and um you know maybe i'd you know do little little tricks like that and yeah. um because i was there and i had taken my notes and I right. thought, no let me let me just do this and i think i think the process was a lot faster like that too yeah nice very nice so how what, how long do you would you say about was the entire post process ah. editing mixing all that <clears throat> that's a that's a really great question um i'd say well you know so we shot it uh i took a couple of weeks off and then i uh i think i took five days to synchronize everything you know those weren't full-time days and then so I think I began editing in earnest in September of that year. And by early December, I had four cuts of the film. Okay. So then uh, I raised a little more money and then I got those pickup shots, mm -hmm. right? Just inserts of a handwriting or, you know, yeah. uh, we did those, some extra jogging shots, like I said, right? Mm -hmm. And that was, that was the opening scene of the film. So important, right? Oh, yeah. And it was written... There was more, a little more to the scene, but we shot that like in 20 minutes during the, when the sun was going down. Oh, wow. yeah, nice. right. And uh, and it, man, I'll tell you, that was probably the most stressful, m the most stressful moments, right? And then you know, there's a little necklace that figures into the story. Yeah, and we're all there, like, who has a necklace? Ah, oh! yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so someone had to run and go back, and that's the other benefit of having all the locations so close. Is it was yeah. just right around the corner. They could brought that prop back. Yes, yeah, nice. But but um, so you know, I'd you know what I'd say it was probably a good including with what David did and the composer, you know what I'm, because again, you can't hire, you can't pay people to um, drop everything. So everybody was still kind of doing their work. Mm -hmm. I'd say it was probably a good year. Yeah. Yeah. Good year. Nice. You know? Nice. 
Yeah, it was great, and and the music was great. Who was who was the composer on that? Yes, yeah. um, Charles Rivero. Okay, and uh, he also is an accomplished drummer. He's drummed with some pretty big names in, cool. in the music industry. Uh, I've known him for oh goodness, I think twenty five years. He's my best buddy, and nice. the thing is, he he's like you, musician, very audio minded, mm-hmm. you know, brilliant, and one day he got the Jones to just pick up a camera and start making these short little movies. Not, not for any reason other than just be creative. Yeah. And so what he would do is he'd make these little videos and then he'd create the soundtrack for them. And they were very creepy. Like if it was a creepy little thing, yeah. you know, the, the sound design and the score, the music that he'd put under these little videos were just amazing. Yeah. And so I made a short film many years ago and I asked him to, to do the, the music for that and he, he knocked it out of the park, of course. Mm-hmm. And so I said, Charlie, you know, when I make, when the time comes for me to make my first film, you know, you're going to be the first call that I make. Nice. You know? Yeah. And so, and yeah, he just, I think he knocked it out of the park. He did. Am- yeah, agreed. Yeah, an amazing yeah, job. Really, really great. And I told him, because, you know, he did the score and a big portion of the sound design, like the, I, it's the um, non-diegetic sound design, okay. which all the spooky sounds the characters don't hear, Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and it was his first film doing that. Uh, uh, and it was a really big uh, project for him, of course. And so then David came in and then he did all, you know, he mixed all the sound and he, if, if there were any little portions of the sound design that he felt could be beefed up a little bit, he did that. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, like Charlie really, you know, for it being his first feature, he, he did an amazing job. Yeah. And I told both of them, I said, you know, sound is half the movie, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so sound is truly half the, the movie. Especially with this film. Yeah. I mean, you have Spielberg saying that, you know, he owes John Williams his career. I mean, right. that's really... The yeah. truth because can you imagine all those movies without those oh my God. those musical yeah. scores no I, could, right? I couldn't imagine any of those films without yeah. john williams indiana jones or et or you right. know yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a central part of of those films for sure or just you know star wars without their very very specific sound design oh yeah that is so iconic and oh yeah will be forever like r2d2 or you know the yeah. sound of the laser beams and stuff exactly like that. yeah it's it's uh you know, the, the X-Wings yeah. <laughs> oh, flying yes. over. Yeah, now like, it's like part of our, you know, like our collective psyche. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Well, I think we're I think we're kind of reeling into the, the end of this a little bit here. Okay. Yeah. But um, do you have anything coming up? What Do you have any plans? What do you have, what do you have going on for I, the future? I, I do, I do. I, I, so there are several scripts. Uh, one is being written by... Um, a writer named Tracy Garner, and he has a feature under his belt. Now I have a feature under my belt, and we want to make one uh, together, right? Nice. We've always talked about it. So he's writing that. Um, and then my nephew, Mario, he's a talented young writer. And nice. we, we tend to, you know, kind of, um, you know, we're, we're on the same page, uh, creatively speaking. Cool. And he had written a script and given it to me he said what do you think and i said oh my god this is great so i made a second draft and we were really happy with the where that ended up uh but it was far too expensive for me to realistically ever go mm-hmm. out and produce because it's like you got to raise a ton of money for this and you know so so we said well let's just start one from scratch together something that i can just go out and raise money and shoot mm-hmm. re- realistically speaking yeah and then so that's the second script that's in the works. And then I have one that I'm currently working on that I intend to shoot next year. Nice. And uh, that one is more of a supernatural horror horror film. That's a ghost story. Yeah, you know? cool. Yeah. Nice. So lots of stuff coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I have, you know, more ideas for some documentaries and stuff because, okay. you know, I've done, I've done stuff like that. So yeah. um, I feel like I could, I don't want to say do it in my sleep because it's 
so much work. Right. And it's a grind, like I said. But I have... You're comfortable with I, it? I have some ideas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Very cool, man. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been a pleasure. I'm glad we, we got to meet and, you know, and, and we're able to do this. Um, where can people find you out there on the... Oh, yeah. So you know? on Twitter, uh, my handle is at uh, Jet. That's J-E-T-T, Leon, L-E-O-N, L-T-D. Um, so at Jet Leon limited right uh and then on instagram i'm adrian's grams that's a-d-r-i-a-n-s grams and then um yeah i'm on facebook just adrian leon probably find me perfect you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll obviously have all the links down below oh yeah that'd be great stuff, but um yeah man thanks again it's been a pleasure yeah. um i think uh, uh I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of the business side of things with this. You know, you seem to have a lot of experience in the business side, in the business world. And that's something that is severely lacking amongst creative people. Oh man, I could talk for hours about that. And um, it's just, you know, just being ready to get that money. Because, you know, sometimes people just want to go raise money. Well, no, you got to have, you got to be ready. What are you going to do when you get that first check? You know what I'm saying? So, so, you know, just little stuff like that. Yeah, perfect. All right, Adrian. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much. Um, thank you to everybody who listened today. I really appreciate it. And we will come back at you next time. Thank you. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode today. I certainly did. It was uh, it was nice to get a, a, a deeper perspective on Adrian and what he does and his viewpoints in this industry Real quick before I let you go, I uh, just want to say thanks again for all the people who reached out after last, week, last week's episode. It really, really meant a lot to me, so thank you all very much for that. Also, make sure to head over to simpleequationsmedia.com. Hit up Simple Equations on Facebook at Simple Equations, Instagram at Simple Equations Media, Twitter at Simple Equations underscore. Uh, make sure to also head over and check out Dreaming in F minor on Facebook and Instagram, both at Dreaming in F minor. And I guess that's about it for this week, guys. Pretty quick episode today, not too bad, um, but a great and valuable episode nonetheless. So thank you all very much for tuning in. Can't wait to bring you another amazing episode next week, and we will talk to you later. Mm-hmm.